Well, thank you, Roger and Karen, for being willing to share. That's an impactful, powerful story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the things that stuck out as I was sitting here listening to, I've heard it before, but listening, um, God uses hard times to bring us to him, and, and then we can look back and actually praise him for the hard times we went through. Roger honestly just kind of shared that that was the first time he really sought after God, and, and, and God was there. Um, if you have been coming for the last few weeks, this is our third week in a series, Is God Real? And we started off looking at Ecclesiastes, where God says, you know, I put eternity in their hearts. The, Solomon was writing in Ecclesiastes, he says, I put eternity in people's hearts. And we saw Paul write that everybody has some idea that there is a God based on what's been made, looking at nature, looking at creation. We know that there must be a creator, but we know, don't know the details of that. And then last week, we looked at Paul on Mars Hill, where he was teaching, yes, there's a God, obviously, uh, and he was speaking in Athens where they had this uh, idol to an unknown God. Um, and, and so they were worshiping a God they don't know. He said, I'm going to tell you about that one. And he started breaking down who this God is, the God, not just a God among many, and led all the way to Jesus. That God revealed himself finally in Jesus, who gave his life for us on the cross so that we could have life. And our response is to repent, believe, and then follow Jesus. So today I wanted to look at, okay, if God is real, we've already looked at this. Yes, God's real. He revealed himself in Jesus. That's how we have life as we believe in Jesus. But now how can we endure for the long run? How can we live lives of faithfulness all the way to the end? Because if you didn't figure it out yet, life is going to be hard sometimes. And if you're in a good season right now, awesome. I don't want to be a, a pessimist, but things are going to happen. Things always happen. Pain happens. And so how can we be faithful to the end? How can we get to the end of our life and, and have God say, well done, good and faithful servant, that we went through the hard times? We went through the good times, because a lot of times we wander away when times are really good, don't we? That's the history of, of the Jews and, and the Israelites. So how can we live faithful lives? And that's what I want to look at today, is how can we be faithful? And here's, here's the big idea. Um, if you're a note taker, here's the big idea. Remembering... And praising God's presence and power in the past gives confidence and hope in God's current and future presence and power with us as we go on his kingdom adventures. Let me read that again. Remembering and praising God's presence and power in the past gives confidence and hope in God's current and future presence and power with us as we go on his kingdom adventures. There's a lot there. But if, if you're a note taker, it's in your notes, so you can maybe refer back to that. But we're going to be in Joshua. So if you look at my Bible, it's about right there. <laughs> Near the beginning of the Bible, Joshua chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the box in front of you. It's going to be on page 200 early on in the Bible in that Bible in front of you. Or you can look at it electronically, whatever you want. Let me pray before we look into this. Lord Jesus, that last song we were singing, Jesus, only Jesus, it's, it's all about you. We gather here because of you. Jesus, you revealed the Father. You set us free from sin and death by giving your life on the cross. Your blood set us free. And your resurrection earned for us and proved to us that we will have eternity with you, that we will get resurrected bodies if our faith is truly in you, Jesus. And all we have to do is repent, follow you, and we are assured, we have confidence. Holy Spirit, I ask you to be present with us. We want to see lives changed. We want our own lives to change. We want to become more and more sold out to you. 
And we want to see others experience the love and the joy and the peace that comes from life with you. And God, you are the only one that can change lives. We can't change our own lives. We can't change others' lives. We need you. So Holy Spirit, please be present with us. Stir our hearts and our minds. If you need to adjust something in us, I pray that we would be open for you. We would be like clay in the potter's hands, that you would mold us into what you want us to be. I thank you for the mothers in here and the mothers not in here. Uh, they're such a blessing. God, I pray for the kids in the next room that they would, they would grow in their love. They would grow in their passion for you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, we're going to be in Joshua 4. Now, let me set up the context. Let me set up the history. If, you, uh, if you're not familiar with the story of the Israelites, God chose the Israelites. They ended up going to Egypt freely. They went there early on, uh, and then they were enslaved there, and they were there for 400 years. Over that 400 years, the Israelites grew. They multiplied. They had lots of babies. And so there were millions of them 400 years later, and here they are, slaves in Egypt. And maybe you remember the story. Maybe you've seen, um, what, what is it, the one, old movie? Ben-Hur, not Ben-Hur. The Ten Commandments. Yeah, the Ten Commandments. So that one laid it out, great acting there. Or the cartoon, you know, the Prince of Egypt, that's what it was called. And that one, I think, was actually fairly accurate to what the Bible says. So the Jews were in Israel for 400 years until God finally decided, I'm going to take you out and take you to the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the way, that land is the land that Israel is in right now. Back then, it was much larger. Israel had a lot more property, uh, but it's the same area that Israel is now. And so he was going to lead them out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land. And so Moses is the, the prophet that gave the law, God gave the law through Moses, that gave the Ten Commandments. And he led them out. And maybe you've seen the movies or you, you remember the story where they're leaving Egypt and the Egyptian army is coming behind them to destroy them and they get to the Red Sea and they're stuck. So they have the, the Egyptians coming in from behind. They have the Red Sea up front. Moses goes out, lifts up his staff and the sea parts. You know, and it's pretty dramatic in the, in the movies, but it was probably pretty dramatic in real life too. The sea parts and they crossed on dry land. They get to the other side, the Egyptian army comes in to follow them, and boom, the sea comes back in, and they all drown and die. So then they get up to the promised land, they check it out, they had just seen God do amazing things, plagues in Egypt, parting the Red Sea, he's leading them, they get to the promised land, and God, his intention was that they would go in and take it, that was his plan. But they get there, and they send 12 spies to look it out. They come back, 10 of the spies go, this is horrible, there's giants in there. Like there's awesome fruit and milk and it's gonna be awesome, but we can't take the land. We don't have the faith because there's giants and we'll never win. And so, but two, two, Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies came back and they said, who cares? Yeah, they're big, but the land is great and God brought us through, he's gonna go with us. Well, the people listened to the 10, not the two. And they, they freaked out, well, we can't go in. So God judged them and sent them back into the wilderness for 40 years. They had to wander around. And there's a lot of cool stories about that, how God provided food, God provided water. But 40 years passed, and that's where we're picking up the story. Moses led them in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they're going to go into the promised land again. This is uh, plan B, or, or try number two. Let's try this again. This time they're heading back to the promised land. They have to cross not a... Uh, a sea this time, they have to cross a river, the Jordan River. And so they get there, Moses is dead. He just died. Joshua now is gonna be the leader that's gonna take them in. 
And maybe you've experienced that where leadership changes and there's things in flux and, and that was the, the case for them. Okay, Moses is dead. Moses did all these miracles. Is God still with us? Joshua's gonna lead us, but is God with Joshua? You know, and so there's some of that. We're not sure what's gonna happen. Well, they get to the Jordan River and that's what we're gonna see here. God says, it's time. You're gonna cross the Jordan. You're gonna go into Jericho. Maybe you've seen Veggie Tales. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Jer yeah, see, that's the one. Okay, so they're gonna go in and they're gonna take down Jericho. This, I mean, that was their first battle in the promised land. They're gonna win that battle and then they're gonna take the rest of the land they're gonna move in. But this is before any of that. This is right at the beginning. They're gonna cross. And here is Joshua leading the people and God shows up again in a miraculous way, trying to communicate to them, I'm still with you and I'm going to be with you. So I want to look at this. This story is awesome. Uh, and we're going, to, we're going to learn a lot. We're going to apply it to us. But we're going to see here a couple things. And I, I think it's important to bear in mind this. They know their mission. Their mission is to take the land. Their mission is to go in and fight battles. I mean, this is kind of a scary thing. They're going to fight giants. And God has promised that they will succeed. But it's, that's their mission, to take the land and they're starting out. Now, we're going to start in Joshua 3, 7, and I'm going to do kind of a, a running commentary because this is a long story, but it's really an action pack. It's a cool story. And so we're going to read through it, and I'm just kind of going to give some commentary as we go through so we can understand this. But Joshua, starting in chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that they may know that as I was with Moses so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. That's a river. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will be with you or without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. So here's the scene. Now he's going to talk about the ark quite a bit. And there's a reason for that. The ark of the covenant was a box that they had made. It was covered with gold. It was actually pretty amazing. Um, and in this box, there are the 10 commandments. In this box is a, a staff that was Aaron's staff that budded, uh, kind of a weird thing, but that's in the box. The box had these angels on, on top, these cherubim with their wings outstretched. And this was, it was called the mercy seat. And this was the symbolic presence of God among them. Later, this box, this ark would go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. And that was the absolute presence of God. If you went back into that Holy of Holies, that's where God was. And so this ark represented God's presence with the people. Maybe you've seen Indiana Jones. It's like that. <laughs> They're carrying the ark. But that gives you a picture. That's what it looked like. And so they take this ark and it shows the presence of God. The ark is going to go first to the Jordan River. The ark is the the uh, priests carrying the ark are going to step in, and the sea, or I'm sorry, the the river is going to stop, and they're going to go through. But I want you to notice a couple things. Look at verse ten. Joshua says, "Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. It's going to be proof that God is with them. That's what they needed. 
God is with you, and he's going to do what he promised. He's going to drive out the people before you. You're not going to have to fight the battles. They're going to have to physically do it. But the point is, God's going to do the work for you. And here's how he's going to prove that he's going to do it. Now look at uh, verse 12. Now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. All right, just take that and put it in the back of your mind. 12 men were chosen. And they're kind of standing and waiting. We, they probably even don't know what their job is yet. Like, 12 of you, just come over here. We're going to need you later. So 12 men are ready. Verse 13. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. The Jordan River this time of year was flooding. Right now, if you go to the place where they would have crossed, where Jericho is, where they would have gone across, it's about 10 feet deep this time of year and about 100 feet wide and flowing. Have you ever seen a river after flooding, you know, when it's that time of year, it's grabbing the logs and things and coming down. So it's kind of a precarious river. And they get there. When is the water going to stop? I want you to notice that. Just think about that. When does the water actually stop? He says, this is going to happen. The water's going to stop up so you can cross, and it's going to happen when the soles of the priest's feet are in the water. They didn't stand outside and wait for it to part. They moved forward in obedience, and when they did that, God stopped up the water. I would assume that if, if the priest got to the edge and they went, uh, you know, we're not going to go, it's not, then I don't think the water would have stopped. But in obedience, they stepped in. When they were in ankle deep is kind of the way I'm picturing this. They're, so, they're in the water. It's flowing then it stops. I think there's an important point here as we look at these. Why does God do this and, and what, is, what is his purpose? This is in your notes. God wants them to know that he's with them and he's gonna do what he promised. He wants them to know that he's with them and he's gonna do what he promised. Verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap, very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Picture this scene with me. They had tried this before. They had no faith. And so they were cast out. Uh, the, the story goes, when they didn't go in the first time, God said, any of you over 40 years old, or no, anyone over 20 years old isn't gonna get to see the promised land. So if you were 25 years old and you were in that crowd and you're like, we're not going in, you didn't get to do this. You died. You died in the wilderness. So now it's kind of a fresh batch of Israelites. It's a new group of people. Are they gonna be faithful? And so they get to this river flowing, just flowing fast. What's going to happen? The, the priests step in ankle deep. The water stops about 20 miles upstream. 
upriver, about 20 miles. So picture that from here. You get maybe close to South Reno. Uh, that's where the water's, imagine a, a river flowing from Reno to here. In Reno, that's where it would stop. And imagine the water was going to keep flowing that way as far. I mean, I'm, I probably don't have my elevations right, but all the way to Markleyville. Now, this was a, an area that was very fertile. There's a lot of people all around this area. So if the water stopped in a heap is what it looks like. So the picture isn't that it just drifted out and it, it looks like it just stood. The water flowed and all of a sudden it hit like an invisible wall and, and just kept flowing down and just stopped in this heap. You think if you were up there 20 miles upstream, what, what would you think? <laughs> I mean, just picture that. You're just fishing and all of a sudden it stops. <laughs> And 10 feet that way, there's no water. And now there's just this big pile of water in front of you, a pile. Imagine being downstream down by the Red Sea. And you're down there fishing. And all of a sudden, there's no water. <laughs> all the fish are just kind of flopping on dry ground. I mean, the story of this would have spread. Everybody upstream for 20 miles and everybody downstream knew something was going on. This is the picture. Again, it happens when they step in. For me, that is really convicting. Do you want God to show up in amazing, miraculous ways? I do. <laughs> I do. I want to see revival. I want to see people just sold out to Jesus, giving their life to Jesus, following Jesus. I want to see marriages healed. I want to see kids following Jesus. So I mean, these are my dreams. It, and really, anytime somebody gives their life to Christ, it's a miracle. <laughs> Anytime a marriage is actually healthy, it's a miracle. But I want to see these miracles. And here's what's convicting for me, though. When does the miracle happen? When they obey. They have this great mission, and they go, we're going. And as they move forward, God is there with them all the way. But it's when they obey. What about us? When's the last time you set out to do something only God could do? Think about that. You set out to do something only God could do. Our desire, our dream here at Common Ground is to see Carson City churched. 7% of the population here goes to church. The dream is that 100%, I mean, that's a bold dream, but imagine 50% of people in this city actually attending church, not just this church, any church that's following the Bible and following Jesus. We want to see this city church. That's, that's a big deal, okay? So are we just going to sit here and go, man, I hope that happens, or are we going to do our part and just move forward in obedience? That's what we're trying to do. But when's the last time you set out and intended to do something only God could do? This is convicting. Now, I would say this. It happens. It happens all over the world. People step out and they go, and God does show up. And amazing things do happen. But that's when he shows up, when you obey. Now, look at chapter 4, verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people. So here's these 12 men that were set aside. Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man. Now there's 12 tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. They're a, a unit, one from each tribe. And command them saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark 
of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. So here's the, here's the picture. All the Israelites are going across, again, on dry land. On dry land. You ever waded into the, the edge of a river? It's muddy, you know, and you sink down. This is dry land. So they're walking across. These 12 men are kind of waiting there, and Joshua says, okay, here's your job. Go out to the middle and get 12 stones and get the biggest ones you can carry. <laughs> so they put them on their shoulders. Go out and get 12 stones. Pick them up and carry them. Now, again, picture this. They're not in mud. They're in dry ground, you know, and they're probably prying them up. Take these 12, put them on your shoulder, carry them to the place where we're going to camp tonight. So they pick them up, they carry them. I don't know if they carried them all the way there. They took turns carrying it. But they took these stones all the way there and stacked them up. This is interesting, and this is our focus today, is what they do, what God tells them to do, and again, they obey. Verse 6, this is why they do it. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So why these stones? A memorial. Why? Because they were forgetful. They were forgetful people. They had this tendency, and if you read through the rest of your Bible there, you'll see that they had this thing where they would follow God for a while, and then they would wander away. They would kind of forget. They would follow idols. So God would let somebody come in and take them over. And then they would cry out to God, and God would show up again, and then they would forget. <laughs> and they would be taken over by somebody, and God would show up again. And aren't you glad we're not forgetful? <laughs> aren't you glad we're not like that at all? This is why this is so applicable to us. How can we be faithful in the long run, all the way to the end? Just like them, we have to remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. So they stack it up at the place where they're going to be as a memorial. When your children ask, he says, when your children ask. So this is going to be in an area where people are going to be on their way to Jerusalem later. This is much later. People are going to head to Jerusalem where they're going to sacrifice, where they're going to have these festivals. It would have been kind of on a pass. People would have seen this stack all the time. And the kids would ask, what's that about? And the parents would have a chance to tell them the story. Any of you have a place where you've been, a place that has a significance, and when you see it, it brings back memories? I have a place in the town I grew up in in Colorado, the church building that my great-grandma was in back in the 30s. Old, old building. The church doesn't meet there anymore. It turned into something else. But the building is still there, right across the street from the park. But when I, I drive by there every time I go back to Woodland Park, and there is this, this building, and there's memories. I would drive around back and see kind of this little stoop. Yeah, we climbed up on top of that when we were kids, and we had snap pops once, and we were throwing them at the birds. And, you know, <laughs> there, there was the, the youth house. You know, that was the youth house where... Um, we met with God. This is the building I got baptized in. So all these memories, you know, I'll just sit out front sometimes and just remember God showing up. It's where I was baptized. It's where I learned about Jesus. It's where I learned the Lord's Prayer. Said it over and over and over. It was great. It was where I counted the tiles. You guys ever done that? It's where I counted the tiles. I think there were 264. Memories in that church. That's where my youth pastor grabbed me and pulled me aside and, and confronted me on sin in my life. 
That was where I ran full speed and busted a door down because they locked me out. I mean, all these, but, but all these memories, but all it comes down to, though, those were formative places for me, and God showed up. What about you? Don't you have those places where it brings back memories? That's what this was going to be, especially for that first generation. Imagine that. The first generation, when they pass by those stones and the kids go, what's that about? Oh, my goodness. I got to tell you about it. It was amazing. We were coming up, and the priests, and the water, and there was stuff, you know. I mean, it was an exciting thing. And so they would pass on that story, and the kids would go, whoa. And then they would die, and then they would tell their kids. And then they would die. (laughs) But the idea was remember. Remember what God did. Because there's something we see in Scripture. God does not lead his people through miracles on an ongoing basis. You know, don't you kind of wish sometimes that God would do something like that? that <laughs> you know, like the mountain would part and something would happen and then it would come back to you. I mean, just these miraculous things. Look through the Bible. That didn't happen much in history. This was one of those times where that happened. It happened with Israel leaving, leaving Egypt, going into the promised land for a reason. God wanted them to know, I'm with you. God was changing something. They had been in in Egypt so long, they were very confused about who God was. The the Egyptians had all these other gods and and all this, and so they were confused. So God had to prove to them, I am the one and only God, follow me. You see this sometimes with Elijah. There was a a couple prophets did some amazing, miraculous things, but not a lot of them, just a couple of them. Then when Jesus came, you see these miracles happening again. The point is, if our faith is based on seeing miraculous things, then it's not real faith. It's, not a fa- it's a faith by sight. And even many who saw those things didn't believe. Just read the, Bible, read the gospel, see what Jesus did. He did amazing miracles, and they're like, eh, I don't want to follow him. <laughs> and so real faith isn't based on miracles. So it's not going to keep going, but this event was proving to the people, I'm with you now, and I'm going to do what I promised. You're going to take the land. I'm going to cast out these giants before you. And then they, they did it. They did it, and they proved it. And so that's part of the story they would tell. God promised he was going to do this. He promised he would be with us. He parted the, the water, or he stopped them upstream. We went in, and he showed up. And think about being a kid. You hear that story, that should give you faith. That's the point. That faith is passed on. I was talking to Roger and Karen yesterday, and we were talking about that story. I said, how often do you tell that story to your kids? And they're like, well, our kids were there. <laughs> Our kids, they were part of it. They, they got to witness it. They got to see that. You know, Doug and Galen, those are my in-laws. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you. She just got this look. It's Mother's Day, so I have to be nice to you. Um, <laughs> they tell a story of, of when their family was young and Doug had just gotten out of the Navy and gone into the reserves. Something got messed up with paperwork and he didn't get paid for eight or nine months. And they're, they're, yeah, building a house and all this stuff. And I remember early on in our marriage, Galen telling stories of, you know, I didn't know how we were going to eat that day or we needed milk and got home and there was a bag of groceries on the porch with milk. I mean, just s- some of those, but they've told those stories. You know, and as I got them talking about it, I, I called and asked Doug permission um, and they talked about it. And then he called me back a few minutes later. He's like, I got more stories, <laughs> you know, be- because when God has shown up, we remember and we want to tell those stories. My parents have those stories. We have those stories. Do you have those stories? And do you tell them to your kids? This is not the point, but here's a side point. Parents, it's your job to tell your kids. Okay, we might feel a little guilty. It's your job to tell your kids. The Bible says, raise up a child in the way they will go, 
And when they're older, they will not depart from it. It's your job to teach them the Bible, not theirs over there. It's your job to remind them what God has done in your life, to tell those stories. You know, when you've got a 12-year-old kid, you don't give them the choice or they come to church. They're coming to church. They don't know yet. They're too young to get to choose those things. You decide that for them. You are going to get to know God, and later you'll get to choose for yourself. But parents, it's up to us to teach our kids, to teach our kids, and then, of course, trust God with them. But that's what he says, tell your children. Tell your children. Now, keep looking here. Verse 9. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. See, it's very consistent. This miracle is very similar to crossing the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea, they walked on dry land. Now he stopped up the river, they walked on dry land. He's saying, I am with Joshua, your leader, just like I was with Moses. I am with you now, just like I was with you then. I am consistent, I promised I'm gonna be with you, I will be with you, you will succeed. Now, it looks in verse nine, this, this is a little bit confusing and commentators disagree. It looks like Joshua sets up a heap of stones in the middle of the river. It looks like there's two heaps. So some say that what happened was all the people were crossing over. So the ark went, they stepped in the water, it stopped. They walked to the middle and they stopped. They just held the ark there while all the Israelites passed by. Imagine being in that group and you're just walking on dry land and you look and there's the ark. That's what you see. You see the ark and then you see nothing but fish flopping on dry land as far as you can see. But there's the ark. Then Joshua goes out to the middle and he collects 12 stones and he's probably doing this while everybody's crossing over. He picks and puts them in a big pile right there in front of where the ark is. Some say he did that as the 12 men came through, they grabbed one of those, put it on their shoulder and took it and piled up. I don't think so. I could be wrong, but it looks to me like Joshua made a pile there. While they grabbed their 12 and they headed to the other side, he made a pile right there in the middle. And it says that it's there to this day. So when this was written, they were still there. Why would he put another pile in the middle of the river? Here's how I, here's how I think it would work. If it was my family. Here's my family. We're on our way to a feast. We pass by the stone. Our youngest, Elise, climbs on it. jumping. Careful, don't fall off. She's climbing. Like, what's this about? And we look at Brendan. We're like, well, Brendan, you're old enough. Now you tell the story. Brendan says, well, I've heard this a million times. Here's what happened. Great, 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 great grandpa and grandma, you know, and tells the story of all this, all that happened. And then you have the other two that are, yeah, we've heard this too, but is that true? Like, how do you know that somebody just didn't pile this? Well, actually in the middle of the river, there's another pile and it's still there. And my kids would be like, yeah, right. No, it's there. They'd get their goggles, you know, grab the backpack. They'd put their goggles on. They'd swim out, swim down. It is there. It's covered in moss now. You know, maybe when the water's low, you see a couple stones sticking out, but it was still there. So imagine that, swimming out and looking at that one and going, okay, the ark was right there. The priest's feet were right there. Joshua touched these stones. Just imagine how that would help grow your faith, remembering what God had done. These stones were a big deal. These stones were a big deal. 
as you look through the Bible, the Old Testament especially, they continue to do this. They continue to set up stones times when God shows up. They continue to do things so that they will remember that God is with them. Look at verse 11. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel. Remember, what was their mission? They're going to take over. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests of the feet were lifted on dry ground, the waters of the Lord returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over it, as the Lord your God did at the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Doesn't this seem kind of redundant? <laughs> Maybe you're sitting there going, Derek, why'd you read this whole thing? He tells the same story three times in here. Why? Why does he keep saying, Ark of the Lord? Why all this stuff about the stones? Because it was a big deal. God showed up miraculously, and they needed to remember. But there was one other reason for this pile of stones. Verse 24, so that... All the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Not only were they going to use this to teach their kids that God was with them, and he would be with them and do what he promised, they would use this to show the other nations, God is mighty, and you need to fear him. This is what we talked about last week. God is mighty. He showed up in Jesus. You need to repent and follow him. That's what the fear of the Lord means. To fear God means to stand in awe, to believe, and to follow, to submit to him. This was supposed to be somewhat evangelistic. And by the way, this whole event was evangelistic. Like I said, imagine being upstream and seeing what happened. Imagine being downstream. Word spread. Word was going to go to Jericho. Word had already gone to Jericho that God was with these people showing up, and people trembled. One in particular, her name was Rahab. She heard the story and she responded with fear. And so when spies went into Jericho, she hid them. She let them down out so they could get away. And when Jericho was destroyed, she was brought into, she was protected. Her whole family was protected. She was brought into Israel. And she's actually in the line of Jesus, oddly enough. But it worked. The word of God spread. So part of our stories of God showing up should be a testimony to others. God is mighty. God is mighty. And our job is to repent. Our job is to fear him. God is proving here that he is present and powerful. Present and powerful. And he talks about two events, the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan. Now they set up these stones. There's another time where Samuel does the same thing. This is later. This is when, during the pattern that I told you where people would 
follow idols and then be you know, taken over. And so they would cry out to God, they would repent. There was a time of that where the people repented and God showed up mightily again in the people and they won an amazing battle. Samuel then grabbed a stone, a big stone, and set it up and called it Ebenezer. This is an Ebenezer Scrooge. It's a, it's a stone of remembrance. And he set up this stone and said, here we're gonna remember that God showed up when we repented. When we repented and decided to follow him, he was here for us. It was called Ebenezer. They did this sometimes with wells. We need to remember what happened here, dig a well. And every time somebody goes and drinks out of that well, they'll remember God showed up. And why do we need to remember? Because remembering what God did in the past gives us confidence that he's with us now and will be in the future. What is our mission? The Israelites had the mission of taking over the land. It was impossible, but it happened. What's our mission? In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And by the way, I'm with you always to the end. He gave them a mission to spread his gospel to the world, all kingdoms, all nations, to go tell what Jesus had done. Go tell that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and you can have life with him because guess what? He's coming back. And he finished that with, and by the way, I'm gonna be with you always. We're gonna see this in the next few weeks as we get back in John, the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in us and with us. Do you know God is here with us now? God is present and powerful. And we know it from the past and we look forward to the future. But that is our mission. It's an impossible mission. But Jesus has promised to be with us as we continue to carry out his mission of kingdom expansion. And God gave them things to remember. Why do we do communion? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? To remember Jesus on the cross. To remember our forgiveness. We can have a stable faith. Remembering what he has done brings him glory. Reminds us that he is with us. And gives us confidence that what he has said will come to pass. And he said a few things. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said he's going to return. He's coming back. When they were in Samaria, and Jesus meets a woman at a well. This is one of those wells, actually. And then the whole town pretty much gets converted. And as they're coming out to Jesus and the disciples... Jesus looks, he says, lift up your eyes. The fields are white for harvest. His point was there are many people ready to turn to him now. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers. There are so many people that are ready to give their lives to Jesus. All he needs is people to go spread the word. All he needs is people to go talk and share. But the confidence we need as we go is remembering what he's done in the past. So here's, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna sing I think the next song Paul's just going to sing. We're going to close in song. But during this next song, we're going to build an Ebenezer. We're going to build a memorial stone. And here's why we're going to do this. Because we're forgetful. Haven't you had times where your faith was strong? Something, something tough happened in life and God showed up. Your faith was strong. And then things go good and you're like, <laughs> you wander. You know, you spend less time in the word. Maybe less time coming to church. Less time talking about God. And then something happens and you come back. We need to live lives of constant remembrance. And so what we're going to do is we're going to remember. Now, it's up to you. 
remember, you can remember your salvation. You can remember, for me, it, it goes all the way back to the cross. That's why we take the Lord's Supper, to remember what he did until he comes. But think of a time when God showed up in your life, or even in our life. We're a young church. We're one year old. But we are ambitiously moving forward to what God is going to do. And we believe God is going to use us greatly in Carson City. We're confident. But we got to go. <laughs> we got to go do it. And so the things, as I was sitting here remembering, what has God done? You know, I already put one on the stone. Uh, I put down 2016. So there's, there's stones up here and there's pens. Write one word, write a small sentence, whatever you want to do, write it on the stone. And then we're actually going to mortar it. We're going to build this together. But write something where God has shown up for you. I wrote on there 2016, because 2016, God showed up for us. God provided for our family financially. God provided for Common Ground financially. God brought a unique mix of people. Just look around you. Just the right people. You're not here on accident. I hope you knew that. <laughs> but God brought you. God has shown up in amazing ways. Uh, right now, we are experiencing a blessed unity blessed unity. It's amazing. And so I, I've already laid two stones and I put 2016 on one and I put unity on the other one because it's a miracle when people walk together in unity. It is. I want you to think about this. Now, if you, if you don't want to write something down, that's okay, but still do a stone because God has shown up and this is something, I'm not sure how we'll use this in the future. We may hang it on the wall. It may be too heavy. I don't know, but it's one of those things that we want to do together so we can remember what God has done, and it'll give us confidence as we move forward. Man, things are hard, because guess what? As a church, things are gonna get hard. We're gonna have attack. The enemy's gonna come after us. If we go, he's gonna come after us. He's gonna attack our marriages. He's gonna attack our kids. He's going to attack our unity. And there's gonna be times we're gonna go, man, this is so hard, but hopefully we can look back at this and go, remember that time when things were really good? <laughs> let's trust him, and let's keep moving forward. So during this song, uh, Spend some time in prayer, maybe even talk as a family. When did God show up? And then come up and lay a stone. We're gonna, we're gonna see how many stones we can lay. Uh, how's the mortar? All right. <laughs> the mortar's good. Um, so again, take your time. This is no hurry. Come, write something on the stone, put it on there. It could be one word, you know, it could be cancer <laughs> that came and went. It could be anything. Let me pray and we'll do this. Lord Jesus Christ, I remember, <laughs> I remember, I remember when I fell in love with you. I remember when, when you showed yourself to me in your word and my heart was stirred for passion for you. I remember when things were tough financially and you just provided. I remember Jesus, you on the cross when you did what I couldn't do. I couldn't pay for my sin, but you did, and I'll never forget. You have shown up over and over already in this last year here at Common Ground, and I thank you. I remember the people. I remember the things that you've done, and I'm excited for what you're going to do here in Carson City. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts right now to remember and give us confidence that you're going to do amazing things, and we get to be part of that. And we're going to carry this out until you come back. Bring things to remember so that this Ebenezer we're going to make over here, this memorial stone, will be filled with amazing memories. God, we love you, and we can use this to tell the stories to our kids. In Jesus' name, amen.